Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi legislators have reached an agreement on medical marijuana. So what's the plan? Then Lil Nas X's new album highlights the work of a Mississippi nonprofit. And the state remembers the Clinton massacre of 1875. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We've got a deal. Legislators say they've agreed on a detailed plan to legalize medical marijuana in Mississippi. State Representative Lee Yancey led negotiations on the issue. He speaks with Desiree Fraser. Yeah, we've been in agreement on 99% of it for a couple of weeks. And I think now, you know, we, we've, we finally had to say, okay, no more changes, no matter what. <laughs> you know, any other changes we'll make in January. Let's just get this on the book. Tell us, what do you think are some of the major points of this piece of legislation? Well, I mean, if we're looking at the major points of it, we're looking at putting a program in place that is for for medical use. And so we wanted to ensure that, that that's, that's what was happening. We were not creating a recreational program. You know, it's estimated that there's $700 million to a $1 billion worth of illegal marijuana sales in Mississippi today. And we, you know, we certainly don't appreciate, you know, the, the black market, the illegal drug trade in Mississippi. And we're, we're not trying to, you know, further those folks. We're focusing on the people with debilitating conditions, the people who are suffering, the people who uh, have some condition that is so bad that just having palliative relief from their suffering would derive some benefit from medical cannabis. People with cancer or epilepsy or Parkinson's disease or muscular dystrophy or multiple sclerosis, AIDS, HIV, 
Lou Gehrig's disease, Crohn's disease. You know, there, there's a, there's a long list, but they are definitely debilitating illnesses. You can't go, you won't be able to go to the doctor and say, oh, my shoulder hurts or my big toe hurts. I mean, that's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to be certified that you have one of these. I think it's about 28 different conditions uh, where you might derive some relief from medical marijuana. In terms of restrictions or rules, I understand cities and counties can opt out? That's right. So they'll have 90 days to opt out. Everyone's presumed to be opted in unless you opt out. You have 90 days to opt out. If you don't opt out, then it's going to be in forever because we wanted to give businesses the certainty that if they came in and invested their money, that we wouldn't be pulling the rug out from under them. So if the city aldermen or, or the county supervisors opt out of the program, the citizens can gather signatures and petition to have a referendum to opt back in, a reverse referendum, uh, within 60 days when they gather their signatures, 20% of registered voters or 1,500 voters, whichever is less, and they could have a vote. If that vote failed and they you know, did not vote to opt in, they'd have to wait two years to have another referendum, just like you do with uh, liquor. So um, you're giving everybody a chance to opt out, also providing provision for the citizens to basically override their aldermen or their supervisors if they so choose. And we believe in home rule. We believe that each community, you know, the, the better government is, is closer to the people. And so we wanted to give them the opportunity to, to opt in or opt out. And smoking of cannabis is allowed? Yes, we allowed, we allowed smoking. And, and this is why there are people with certain conditions that uh, need immediate relief. If you were to use cannabis in the form of a gummy or a chocolate or a pill, it might take 45 minutes to an hour for that to be ingested into your system and for the relief to the relief to reach the patient. If you inhale it, it happens almost immediately. And someone who's having a seizure doesn't need to wait 45 minutes to get relief. Someone who's in serious pain doesn't need to wait 45 minutes to an hour to get relief. So we wanted to provide an option for people to get immediate relief if that's what they needed. I didn't want my bias against recreational smoking to influence medical use because, to me, it's not apples and apples. It's not fair to look at a comparison that way. We, we wanted to be able to let people have that immediate relief. We will return to our conversation with Representative Lee Yancey on tomorrow's show. There is much more to discuss in terms of how this program will work and what rollout will look like. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and House Speaker Philip Gunn told reporters Friday the new marijuana deal makes all the more urgent the need for a legislative special session in the state. Both men have already called on Governor Reeves to convene lawmakers to address Mississippi's struggles with COVID-19. Reeves has yet to respond to this latest request. After the break, Cedric Sturdevant has dedicated years to fighting HIV stigma in the Mississippi Delta. He just got a shout-out from Lil Nas X. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Lil Nas X is a black gay singer and rapper who's made his sexuality a key part of his music. You may know him from his breakout song, Old Town Road, or his highly controversial and hugely catchy hit, Call Me By Your Name. Nas's debut album, Montero, dropped earlier this month. Each track of the record is dedicated to a different nonprofit that serves black LGBTQ or otherwise marginalized people. One of those organizations C.H. Peer is based right here in Mississippi. Cedric Sturdevant founded C.H. Peer and currently serves as its executive director. Our mission is actually to promote equality and wellness and social justice through prevention, uh, intervention, education, and research. And, and when we say help, we're looking at all health issues, uh, not just HIV and, and AIDS, but all health issues that kind of, that's, that's a big issue in the minority community. And we're located in the Mississippi Delta, so we definitely want to tackle all those issues here in the Mississippi Delta. Of course. And I do want to focus on HIV AIDS because in Mississippi in particular, African-American men are most vulnerable to HIV by a wide margin. Why do you think that is? Is there stigma attached to getting tested? There is stigma attached to getting tested as, as well as other things, especially when you look in most rural areas, you're looking at the fact that, for one, uh, a person that's of the LGBTQ community be actually kind of afraid to get tested uh, because they don't want to be stigmatized as, because they are of the LGBTQ community that they may automatically become personally with HIV or AIDS. Uh, you're looking at that there's not enough education, especially here in the rural community, again, but in Mississippi in general, uh, not enough education around HIV and AIDS and not enough sexual education as well. If we look in the schools, it's very hard to get into the schools to do sex education. One way of contracting HIV is through sexual contact. So we definitely need to talk about sex education starting in the schools and talking about HIV, and stressing the importance of getting tested. And I know in the area, you know, since I came here, that there was not many resources here dealing with HIV, AIDS, and there was, especially in the uh, black gay men community, and it's just, you know, hard to get tested. And most people was either going out of the rural areas to get tested, and even if they get tested and they had a positive result, they basically was utilizing medical help outside of the area because of it being a rural area. And you know how they say in most uh, areas, rural areas like that, everybody knows everybody, and they don't want people to know. Cedric, you've been involved in this kind of work for many years. Is it because you're HIV positive, or are there other reasons? To be honest with you, it's because I am HIV positive. Uh, before I got my status, I, I wasn't involved with this work. I was just hearing about a lot of it. Uh, I actually hadn't got tested until I had to go because my partner, uh, and this was in 2005, uh, my par- partner had did a blood drive with his job, and they, it, it came up that he was positive, so I had to get tested then. So in 2006, I almost died. 
from complications of AIDS. When God let me live, I uh, started getting well. I started advocating with my clinic that I was going to, and that got me involved into this work because I just didn't want anyone to go through what I went through at that time. You're going to benefit from Little Nas X, which is which seems so random, but explain what's going on, what that's all about. I, it was it was very exciting when I heard about it that our organization was going to be a part of this, uh, the group of organizations that's going to benefit from Lil Nas X album or or this promotion that he got going on. I credit it to, I guess, of who I am and, and not bragging in the sense, but I, as you mentioned earlier, I've been doing this work for a long time. A lot of the funders in the HIV world uh, know the work that I've done, know the work that I was doing in Jackson. They knew how I was able to, in a sense, get especially gay black men to participate in stuff. I've done videos. I was a part of a documentary called Deep South. So people know the work that I'm doing throughout. And when I made the move from Jackson to back to my home area and uh, to start the process of starting my own organization, and then to have my own organization and to see that the progress that I made from when I first came, which I wasn't under my organization, but in the, in the process, I guess people believe in, in, in me. I have uh, three staff members and neither one of them are a year old in the organization, but the work that they're doing, reaching out to the, uh, to guys in the community. And then I have a, a lady here also uh, reaching out to people living with HIV and it's just, to me, it's just incredible work. I think that's why we were nominated as one of the uh, organizations. And then the song, also the song of Little Nas X, that's, that's our name is under, I think, which is Dead Right Now. Dead Right it's Now the name is the name of the, of the song. song. And I know there was a lot of backlash for him, you know, with the picture of him being pregnant. Yes. But I think people didn't really understand the fact that the, he did that in producing of this album you know he's 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 bringing out and something that he's really worked on because i don't know if you heard the album i hadn't heard the album completely but there are a few songs on there that i've listened to and i'm like okay this dude this is very relatable to lgbtq community and uh, especially black gay men i listened to the uh, song dead right now several times you know and i'm like wow I could see some of the young men that I've been talking with throughout the years in that song. Is there information so, about this promotion on your website? Yes, ma'am, it is. And how do people find that? www.chpier.org. Cedric Sturdivant is the founder of CHPR, which stands for Community Health Prevention intervention, education, and research. Thank you so much, Cedric. Thank you so much, too. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The state erected a Freedom Trail marker last week in acknowledgement of the Clinton Massacre of 1875. Leslie Burl McLemore is a civil rights activist and political scientist. He recounts for us the circumstances of the massacre, in which dozens of black Mississippians were killed at the hands of white rioters. On September the 4th, according to the history books and the historians, the first day was the uh, political rally, the barbecue that was held by the Republicans. And the Republicans, of course, in that era were black. The Republican Party was essentially a black party, and the Democratic Party was, was white. So this was a rally, barbecue, political campaign uh, rally sponsored by the Republican Party, and they invited white Democrats to come. And there was a scheduled de- debate between a, a black Republican who was running for state for the state Senate and a, and a white Democrat. The uh, two of them were obviously debating issues of the day. And during the course of that debate, a ruckus occurred, a confrontation occurred between whites and blacks. And I gather there were about 80 white people in attendance out of I've seen numbers from 1,500 to 2,500 to 3,000, but obviously it was a large gathering of at least 1,500 people. And out of that number, there were 80 white folk there, and they were primarily uh, the white Democrats. So uh, a ruckus broke out, a disagreement broke out, and uh, that was gunfire. And then during the course of the gunfire on that occasion, Three white folk were killed, five black folk were killed, and then after that ensuing days, it was a rampage on the part of of the white Democrats to find and shoot and kill black people in the Clinton area. Were the white Democrats targeting specific black Republicans? Well, it is my understanding that based on what I've read is that they actually compiled a list of people that they wanted to kill. So clearly there was some targeting. But obviously there was a random shooting of black people that they saw who uh, was at some point noticeable in the area because they were going from place to place uh, killing black folk. But clearly there was also a list of uh, blacks that they had had gathered, and they were looking for those black folk in particular. But in general, that was just a massacre and a killing of black people. Dragging the men out of their homes to shoot them? Yes, finding, shooting men, women, and children. So what I can gather is maybe up to 50, if not more, and that's probably not an accurate number, of black folk were killed during that time. Tell us about Charles Caldwell. He was a state senator, a black state senator. What happened to him? Charles Caldwell was a a leader, obviously, in the black community, a state senator who was very outspoken uh, and uh, was an entrepreneur as well as a state senator, was well-respected in the black community, and he was killed because of his activity. He was killed because of he was outspoken. He was killed because he was a target, 
and he was a leader, and he was assassinated because of his role in the community. At the time, President Grant issued a policy on non-intervention in race matters in southern states, which allowed this to go on because there was not going to be any interference from the federal government. How long did this killing spree go on? And after they were done, was there just continued tension? It is indicated that Reconstruction ended actually uh, in 1877. But for all practical purposes, 1875, uh, with the incident, the uh, Clinton massacre and other activities occurring across uh, Mississippi and the and and the uh, South, uh, it, it really ended uh, Reconstruction. Uh, yes, there was tension. There was what I, what I would describe as extra legal means to keep black people from voting and participating in violence clearly was a cause of that. I mean, black folk were going to the polls to try to attempt to vote, and they were either obviously not allowed to vote. In, in some instances, there were shootings and killings at the polls. The night before elections, black people were warned in certain communities that you shouldn't dare come to the polls. So folk were intimidated. The Mississippi Freedom Trail marker went up this month recognizing the Clinton massacre of 1875. Why now? Why, why was the marker dedicated this month? It was really an effort on the part of uh, citizens in the Clinton community. But the irony is that we're talking about something that occurred 146 years ago. And the issue was around voting, quite frankly. And now... 146 years later, uh, we are dealing with voter suppression, not only in Mississippi, but across our country. It has been an ongoing struggle, the right of African Americans, and now their cohorts, brown people, to actively participate and vote. So there has been this ongoing effort to deny, to systematically deny uh, black folk uh, the right to participate in the, in the political process. So we are going through another epoch in this denial of uh, allowing black folk to vote. And I thought from my early voting in my home county of DeSoto County in the 60s that uh, we had overcome this with the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that so many of us worked so hard to help get passed. And now we are revisiting some of these same age-old issues, and uh, I have no idea when it's going to stop, but I'm convinced that black people in this country and their allies are not going to give up, that this struggle will continue because... You know, democracy is under attack, and we have to protect this democracy. We have fought and worked too hard in order to bring about change in this country, and I don't think any of us are prepared to give up now to say that we would give in to the forces of voter suppression. Leslie Burrell McLemore is an American civil rights activist and political leader from Jackson. Thank you so much for your thoughts. And you're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.